by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Good morning. Welcome to the Passion Church. My name is Pastor Guy Sheffield. It's so good to see all you warriors get out in this rain. You know, least little old thing to keep some people from going to church, just looking for an excuse, but not you. You made it in, in the rain, and I appreciate it. Um, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll get started. Father, you're worth more than we could give, Lord, and it's an honor to be here today, Lord. If I had to crawl on my hands and knees through non-Connor Creek to get here, Lord, whatever, Lord Jesus, I am happy to be in your house. I'm so thankful to be your child. I'm so humbled by your love for me that you would even be mindful of my situation or where I'm at in this life, but you care. And you look down today with affection for each and every one of us. You know our situations. You know our shortcomings, like Lisa said. You know our failures, but you're so loving and kind and sweet and patient with us. Lord, you just look for fruit. You just look for a heart that's willing to turn. So turn their hearts towards you today, Lord. Make sure everybody in here today leaves with hope and purpose for tomorrow and that they know that you're for them. Lord, I struggle with that sometimes. It's called condemnation, Lord. You know my struggles where sometimes I think, well, if I hadn't done enough, then you're not going to be with me today or something. That's ridiculous. You are for me. Lord, I believe somebody in here probably needs to tell themselves that today. That you are for us. You are not against us. You're not looking to, for us to fail. You're looking for us to succeed. You're looking for us to place our trust in you. And we do that now. We, we open our ears to hear what your spirit would say to us today. We want to be changed. We don't want to fail. And we know where our victory is found. We, we look to the hills from whence our help does come. And here you come again, Lord. I can hear the rumblings now. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, sometimes I feel like we could just pray the whole service. I love talking to God. Well, we've been on a new series called the Family Survival Kit, right? Keeping us together in turbulent times. Can anybody testify that we're living in turbulent times? And to keep our families together, you know, it, it can be a, a, a stretch sometimes because not everybody in your family sometimes are believers and not even know any of these principles. But it's up to us, those who are willing to listen, to be the glue in the family. And so that's what we're talking about, the family survival kit. And uh, so we started talking about the Ten Commandments, you know, the ones actually found in Exodus 20 that God gave to people to keep them from killing one another, basically, to help them give them some kind of guidelines. But I, we're looking at them in as how they relate to our family structure and how our family lives and so forth. So today we're going to talk about murder. We're going to talk about adultery. <laughs> we're, going to, we're even going to have some 18-wheeler suspense. So you just hang on. It's going to be good. Today is going to be an exciting day. And I hope it works out better than I think. 
So today's message, if you're following along on your sheets there and you're filling in the blanks, is part two, the Ten Commandments of family. Yes, uh, last week was part one, obviously. You know there's an attack on the family. You know the devil's not just going to sit back and watch you flourish and your children be, you know, prosperous and you got plenty to eat and all your bills are paid and nobody's acting crazy in your family. Everybody's loving and getting along. You know the devil is working it. To, to get his hands into your family. His top priority is to delude our concept of family even. Why? Because he knows that, that family is at the very nucleus of what God is trying to do in this earth today. See, that's what God is trying to do. He's trying to strengthen families because he knows strong families make strong churches. Strong churches reach the world and save souls. And that's what he came to do, to make all things new. I told you last week a Pew Research poll in 2014 says only 46% of our children in American homes today are growing up in what we would call traditional homes with the original mother and father. That's less than half. So the de we are teetering on losing to the devil here in America. So we've got some things to turn around. The devil wants to make everything ungodly socially acceptable in the land today, as you can see on TV or wherever you look. Cohabitation before marriage, I'll just mention a few. That means living with somebody before you get married. If you're doing that, that's wrong. It's against what God says. In marriage, uh, the marriage bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and such, God will judge. So don't do that. No cohabitation before marriage. But, but the devil wants you to think that everybody's doing it, and if you're not doing it, you're stupid. <laughs> he wants you to think that it's okay to have a no-fault divorce. He wants you to, to think being a virgin is stupid. Do you believe that? Our young women are taught, taught today, or at least by their friends and peers, oh, if you hadn't had sex yet, something's wrong with you. If you're saving yourself for marriage, you're stupid. Did anybody have, did anybody have a friend in high school? And I, I, I went to a rough place, and if I made an A in school and my friends saw it, they'd make fun of me for making an A. What are you, some kind of nerd? So I'd purposely try to make a C or a D so I'd be cool to my friend. And how stupid is that? But that's the way the devil twists things. Today, if you're a virgin, male or female, before you get married, they make fun of you. When in reality, you're doing the highest honor to God and to yourself and to your future spouse. I can't preach all these or I'll be here. The, the spaghetti will be cold before I get through. I'm sorry. But anyway, he's trying to redefine marriage. Hello? There's a cultural attack on fathers in the media. They're all portrayed as ignorant and dumb and, and lazy and no good. And so then we have a, a rash of absentee fathers in America today. We're growing up in a fatherless society. He's trying to blur the lines of our sexual identity even. I mean, those lines look mighty clear to me. I don't see where there's, where there's room for blurring the lines of your sexual identity, but that's the kind of foe that we're against, and that's the kind of ignorance that's in the heart of the humans that will listen to that. Uh, devaluation of life itself through abortion. How many millions of babies slaughtered since Roe versus Wade in 1973? Assisted suicide is talked about and being legalized in some states. Euthanasia for the old, not caring for the old, thinking that it's time to just move them on, get them out of the health care system or whatever. We live in a me generation, an entitlement mentality where uh, 
It's all about me. But you, you know what the biggest enemy of family is? Self. Me. When it's all about me, that's the biggest enemy of family. That's why the devil wants everybody to think that it's all about you. If it feels good, just do it. It's the brainwashing of America, and it's starting very early in our elementary schools. So it's time for, for us to at least know the truth. It's for, time for those who would come out on a rainy Sunday to begin to practice what they know, preach what they believe, stand firm in the things that's going to help us as a nation, as a people. And we certainly want to do it in our families. I know, I know, probably some of you... The statistics say that a lot of you in here right now are mad at me for telling these truths because some of you are, are believing the lies. I'm just telling you, this is what the devil says. I can show you what the Lord says. We all have family dysfunction. We talked about that last week. I'll get, hey, Red. We all have family dysfunction. Uh, Nobody in here can boast, right? We've all gone through it. We've all got wacky Uncle Joe and not you, Joe. You're, it's not you anymore, Joe. <laughs> We've all got these problems in our family, so when we talk about these things, it's not to bring condemnation. How about let's lay it down right here today again like we did last Sunday and say we're not, we're not beating you up about the past. We're learning for the future. There's not, therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. You can put that under the blood and ask for forgiveness, but we have to move on. We have to get wiser so we don't make the same mistakes. And if I make jokes or something, you know, or try to make jokes, try to be funny about stuff, and even whether I am or not, it's not that I'm making light of any of these things and making light of your situation that you may be going through. I'm just trying to help us swallow our medicine, okay? So having said all that, I was... When I was a kid, I was just like you. I had hopes and dreams. You know those kids back there. Did I mention that these, these tables are set up for those kids? Because we're having a uh, spaghetti supper afterwards. I guess you've already heard. But we really love our kids. But those kids back there, they're so full of dreams and hopes. Man, they, they're not thinking they're going to grow up and be unsuccessful. They're not thinking they're going to grow up and be mired in sin and, and failure. And, and I was like that. I wanted to, I, when I imagined myself growing up, I thought I was going to be something. I, you know, you may want to be famous or whatever it is when, when you're little and you're thinking about all these things. Well, I thought I was going to do something, you know. And so imagine the wake-up call I experienced when I was about 24, 25 years old and I find myself down at the 18-wheeler club on Brooks Road. <laughs> now, if, if you know where the 18-wheeler club is, don't raise your hand. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to trick somebody. Don't raise your hand if you know where the 18-wheeler club is. I don't know if it's still there. I hope it's not. If you knew about the 18-wheeler, don't raise your hand. If you know where Brooks Road is, and you, <laughs> that's enough just to know where Brooks Road is, all right? But I was playing in some honky-tonk uh, country and western band, I guess you'd call it, country band. Man, we had really risen to the point where we had a house gig at the 18-wheeler. Just like I imagined when I was a kid, you know. 
And so we were in there one night, and we had played our four sets, and it was, it was really time to go. It was probably 2 in the morning, but they were just getting started, you know. And, and we were sitting there, and, we, and I'll be honest, this is long before I knew the Lord. I was sitting there with a beer just trying to drown my sorrows and thinking, man, we've really arrived, you know. And this dank, musty, smoky place, dark in there, you know. And, and I'm sitting there minding my own business when one of the guys in our band, the smallest member of our band, was sitting over with his girlfriend at a different table. The rest of us were sitting at a table together. Some, these two big old guys walked over and grabbed the littlest guy in our band by the hair and pulled him up and yanked him up like this and started just yelling in his face, you're not going to date my cousin or something. I don't remember what, exactly what it was. I guess they thought that he was there by himself and they could intimidate him, and I don't know if they were going to whoop him or what. But all the band, of course, we jumped up and said, oh, wait a minute, what's going on? And when we started walking over there, they, their eyes got kind of big, and those, one of those big guys reached back at the pool table and got a pool stick. And then just as he was fixing to whip it around, I recognized what he was doing, and I grabbed that pool stick with him. And so I'm standing there with this big old guy I've never seen in my life, and we're both tuggling, tug, tuggling, is that a word? We're, we're tuggling with this pool stick, and his buddy, meanwhile, is standing right there in my face. You better let go or I'm going to hit you. So just like that, I'm thinking I'm just trying to drown my sorrows and get out of here. I find myself in quite a pickle. I'm tuggling with this pool stick. This guy's breathing nasty breath in my face, and this guy over here has got his fist balled up fixing to whack me. What do I do? You'll, you'll learn later. You guys are getting it. I got to save that. I got I to save that for later, you know. But anyway, let's get on to the Ten Commandments. We've already covered last week. We're going from ten to one. Number ten, do not covet. Number nine, do not lie. And number eight, do not steal. Continuing on today, we get to the seventh commandment. Does anybody know what that is? Do not commit adultery. Now, there was this preacher back in the old days used to ride a mule. And he'd ride back and forth to, to, you know, to church every Sunday and preach. And one Sunday morning, he got up and his mule was missing. Well, he got mad. He said, all right, I'm going to preach on the Ten Commandments today when I get to church. And when I get to that commandment about thou shalt not steal, I'm going to hammer them until somebody confesses to who stole my mule. Well, sure enough, he got there behind the pulpit today, and he was preaching fire coming out of his mouth. And when he got to that seventh commandment about thou shalt not commit adultery, he suddenly remembered where he left his mule. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I went for it. I didn't. That is not happening here today. Amen. Proverbs 6, verse 32 says, But the man who commits adultery is an utter fool. You can say the woman who commits adultery is an utter fool. For he destroys himself. Do you believe the word of God? The man who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys himself. You know, adultery is one of the worst things that could happen to a family. Obviously. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that. Somebody commits adultery. And it's not just on the spouse, but what about what it does to the children? To the family reputation? 
to where do you go from here, so forth. Are you flirting with thoughts of adultery? Because it's common to, to people. We talked about last week, you're always thinking that the grass is greener somewhere else and you're working with somebody that might be pretty good looking or something or you're at the water fountain, you're flirting. Are you flirting with thoughts? Are you flirting with somebody? Chuck Swindoll says adultery occurs in the head long before it occurs in the bed. Murder, everything proceeds from the heart of man. Things don't usually just happen by accident. Oop, I tripped, my pants fell off, you know, and I committed adultery. No, there had to be some thought. Into, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm, this is a rough message today. I'm just trying to be real. But ask yourself, are a few minutes worth of pleasure worth a lifetime of regret? Because that's what it'll be. You'll be an utter fool and you'll destroy yourself for that few minutes of pleasure. I found an article on the internet by a guy named Dave Bohai. It's entitled, If I Committed Adultery. I, I wrote down a few of his thoughts. He said, if I committed adultery, my relationship with God would suffer. There'd be great guilt, countless hours of replaying the failure in my mind. My wife would be the one who suffers the most scars, need countless hours of counseling. He said, if I committed adultery, her pain would grieve me deeply and compound my own suffering and shame. If I committed adultery, our relationship would have a break in trust and fellowship and an intimacy. The reputation of my family would suffer obvious loss. My children would be deeply disappointed and bewildered. My friends would be disappointed and would question my integrity. Are these the kind of things that you, that you really need in your life right now? when you've spent so long trying to build your reputation, your character? Is this something worth a few moments of physical pleasure? My relation with, relationship with my wife's family would be damaged. I would suffer God's discipline. Satan, of course, would be thrilled and make sure that my shame never departed. He would just be on your shoulder like a monkey, just going in your ear all the time. My wife might divorce me. My children might not never talk to me. I don't think he put it like that, might not never. That sounds like, that's, that's from the Sheffield Library there. My children might never speak to me again. I would bring emotional pain and reproach to the woman that I had this adulterous affair with. If she's married, her husband might divorce her. An unwanted child could be produced. She might have an abortion. Disease might result. I might have to start life all over again, and the same sin that I've now entered into my family may be passed down to my children. Have you noticed that divorce and adultery and those kind of things seem to pass down from the fathers to the sons or from the mothers to the daughters? Nobody who's thinking right. You know, I like to show you the hands. On this hand... You can live to please God, or on this hand, it's like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> it makes it an easy choice when you think about it. A moment worth of physical pleasure or a lifetime of regret? Or, or both. I guess you get both of those hands. Anyway, recently, our vice president, Mike Pence, was just lambasted by the media because he has a policy where he won't meet with a woman, you know, that's not his wife in a private setting. They, oh, he's sexist. You know, he, 
he thinks he's too good for women or whatever. No, Mike Pence is a Christian, and he knows better than to put himself in a place that could, could uh, cause temptation or a place that uh, might give some, the devil a foothold and to lie on him or something. So he's using wisdom. He responded, he said, what is real is that adultery destroys tens of thousands of families every year across America. What is real is that adultery scars tens of thousands of children emotionally and psychologically every year. What is real is that adultery is an open wound in a relationship which most often than not overflows into domestic violence or worse. These are words spoken by our current Vice President Mike Pence. I think they're words of wisdom. Proverbs 6.27 says, Can a man scoop a flame into his lamp and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? So it is with the man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. That scares me. I mean, if, you, if, if there was a sin you thought you could get away with or something, this is not it. I mean, I wouldn't want to do a sin even if I thought I could get away with it because we all know God sees everything. You can't get away with any sin. But to know that this is a sin that's not going to go unpunished, that you would be a fool, an utter fool. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer, but just hypothetically, does pornography count as adultery? It's an interesting question since, according to the most polls, Apparently, 60, 70, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I'm, I don't know the exact numbers, but unbelievable amounts of men and women in the church are addicted to pornography these days. So I know I'm hitting somebody. I'm sorry. I'm doing it because I love you. But Jesus says in Matthew 5, 28, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's pretty stout. See, God wants us to keep our eyes pure. He says, where your eyes are pure, your whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are darkness, how great is the darkness that is in you? What does your need for pornography say to your spouse? I can tell you, it cuts them deeper than any knife ever could. But wait, but you say, but, but see, everybody does it. Didn't you just say that 60% in the church or whatever? You know, 60% of all statistics are made up anyway. But didn't you just say that everybody does it? So why am I supposed to be different? Isn't that the same argument our kids used to make? Well, everybody's doing it. And you knew how stupid it was for them to say that. But yet you're believing the same thing. See, the devil uses just more sophisticated same techniques on us as we get older. Because everybody's doing it, don't make it right. Don't fall for the tricks of the devil. But somebody might say, but, 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 but my spouse, you know, you don't know my situation. She, she or he, they, they, they don't have a sex drive, and I, and I have to. You have to? How about you have to need, maybe you need a little communication with your spouse, a little romance. Maybe your, your marriage needs a little attention. Rekindling of the flame. You know, there was once something that sparked between you two early on, and somewhere along the line, somebody dropped the ball. 
begin to look at other things. And maybe looking at those other things made, the, made your spouse say, well, if they want that, they can have that. Where do you think that the, the devil, he's robbing you of intimacy. And listen, teenagers, you may not be, have a spouse right now, but being engaged in pornography is robbing you of the intimacy that you will have with your future spouse. If you get involved in that wickedness and it gets its webs in your brain, you will never experience the gift that God gave you of sex to have between a man and a woman in the marriage vows. It is a gift of God. It is not supposed to be twisted and turned and turned into something ugly and people made into body parts. And, and it gets uglier from there. If you've ever seen anybody, if you look at these, man, I just, I got to get back on the message. I, We'll be here till you know, the cows come home if I just preach everything that comes to my mind. I'm sorry. How about you get some counseling for your marriage? How about you work on what you have? Remember last week we talked about um, if we valued the things that we do have half as much as we complain about the things we don't have, our reality would far outdo our imagination. We can have the greatest marriage. But we've got to rekindle the flame. We've got to work for it. Well, they won't do anything, and I'm trying everything. Just keep at it. Just keep trusting God. You do your part and, and pray for them and, and ask God to help them. But if, you're, if nobody's going to try, there's no hope. Somebody has to reach out and believe in your marriage and believe God can do something. Start by asking God to forgive you of pornography, of lustful thoughts of other people. Yes, I'm a, I'm a man. I know. You know, I, I told you last week, I don't stand up here and pretend that I don't do anything wrong. I struggle with everything you struggle with. But I ask God to forgive me, and I try to do better. And God can deliver you. Porn may be the, the most successful weapon the devil has in his arsenal against the family right now. He's got it in your phone. He's got it on your computer. He's, he's almost, he's like he's got you everywhere you turn. It's on the billboard. It's on the TV. It's even nastiness coming out of the radio almost, just dripping. I saw an article recently that says, it asked the question, what to say to teenage girls dealing with a generation of boys addicted to pornography? Have we really sunk into that, that we have to, Tell our teenage girls, you know, all the 13-year-old boys are addicted to pornography. Is that the society we want to live in? Isn't that sad? And the devil, he's just wants to, he's trying to hook those boys and girls early because he knows if he can get his hands in there, he's going to mess up their relationships and their family in the future. And everything that they think is going to be warped and their decisions they make, even about who they marry, is going to be tainted. Porn has proven to affect the brain like major drugs. It's just as addictive and detrimental. Let me say that again. Scientific studies, and I'm not naming them all off here today. You can search it for yourself. But they have proven to affect the brain like drugs. They are addictive and just as detrimental as hard drugs. And I would dare to say somebody in here today is addicted to pornography. Maybe many people in here. Are you already addicted? I'm going to give you just a few things. We don't have time to get into. This is not our whole message today, but it, it probably could be a series on this. But just today, 
Admit your sin. Ask God to forgive you and deliver you. Just like major drugs, the only cure I really know is to turn it over to the Lord. You know, there's other things that you can do. You can destroy your porn, whatever you're, you're looking, even if it's on your phone. If you have to throw your phone in the toilet. I mean, this is serious business. It's such a destructive thing for the family. I would rather not have a phone. I'd rather do smoke signals to my wife or something than, than to be caught on pornography on my phone or on my computer. Unplug that thing. Get real about your family. Nobody said family was easy. You just know it's worth it. Whatever you have to give up for family. Find an accountability partner. Keep your eyes on God's word. Research sexual purity and the benefits of doing things God's way. And if you're married, please, for God's sakes, reinvest in your spouse. It's pornography or, or this relationship you've got going on with somebody that's not your spouse. That is no comparison in what, what God wants to bless you with in your spouse. Do something. Do something. Fight for your family. Fight because you love God. Fight because you love your family. This is a major topic. And I don't have all the answers and the time to sufficiently address it. But I can tell you, adultery in any form is a family killer. And so is pornography. It's a family killer. It's a plague, so to speak. It's pariah. It's little foxes nibbling at the vines. It's about to pull your family down. Stay away. Hebrews 13, 4 says, give honor to marriage. Remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. There it is again. You're not getting away with adultery. How many is ready to go on to number six? <sighs> Got that one out of the way. We, you know, do not murder should be easy compared to that. You know, who's going to murder anybody in their family, you know? It's funny, that's where the detectives look on the first and on any homicide I've seen on TV. I don't know how they do it in real life. The first place they look is the family. Why? Because the family, there's such raw emotion in family. It stirs up passions, and they know that's the first place you better look. We leave our conflicts in our family sometimes to fester. You know what I'm saying? There, there's, there's little things that we do to irritate each other instead of talking them out and trying to solve our problems. We allow bitterness to grow in our, in our lives. You know, it's like, Cousin Clary stole Mama's casserole dish eight years ago. We don't go over there no more. You got twin sisters 80 years old and they hadn't spoke for 40, you know, 60 years because back in the eighth grade they were after the same boy and she's dead to me now. That's murder in your heart. Just like lust in your heart is adultery, hatred developing in your heart is murder. You don't believe me? 1 John 3.15 says anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. That's pretty stout, isn't it? But see, God deals with the heart. Out of the, the issues of the heart, uh, I was messing that one up. Out of the heart flow the issues of life. 
Things begin in the heart before they ever come out to the surface. That's why God deals in the heart. He plants the seed spiritually in us, and then we work out this salvation, what we learn, that, that seed grows into us. And so I'm planting seed today to get you to begin to plant different seed in your life. Ephesians 4.26 says, don't, let, don't sin by letting anger control you. doesn't say all anger is sin, but just don't let anger control you. There's a righteous anger. There's a time to be angry. But don't let anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. All right, we talked about the devil getting his hands in there. Now we're talking about it getting his foot in there too. <laughs> I am convinced that if there was a little more communication in the family, if you would settle things before you, you go off to bed mad and let it stay there, let it stay there and let it grow and let it turn in. And have you ever noticed you can start building things up in your mind? I've done it. Pretty soon, you know, they stole my toothpick and now I'm thinking, you know, they're, they're in my bank account or something. You know, it, you just let things fester and go and it grows in your mind. And then you're thinking, they're not talking to me because of that. And they don't even know what you're talking. They don't even remember stealing your toothpick. You know what I'm saying? But they may be harboring something against you, and there's all this miscommunication. A family has to communicate. Don't let the, the sun go down on your anger. Make it right before you go to bed. That's a good practice. You, you know, the Word of God has got some good advice in it. It's true. It works. If, if you're fighting with your spouse, I'm going to challenge you. Be the bigger person and go tell them you're sorry. Let's work it out. Let's talk about it. Men, you don't want to talk about nothing. Oh, they'll figure it out. I told her I loved her when we got married 28 years ago. <laughs> no. Talk about it. Talk about it. Men, you're knuckleheads. Talk about it. Your wife needs to talk about it. You're not going to have a healthy marriage, with men, if you won't talk to your wives, and vice versa. Man, y'all done got me preaching on all kind of stuff. This ain't, this ain't even in my notes. Be the family peacemaker. Be the bigger person who refuses to let anger, bitterness, and hatred arise and get a foothold in your family. How many wants to be known as the bigger person? I believe that most of you in here are doing that. When I talk to you, it's like, I went to my family reunion, you know, and our tree don't fork at all, and it's like, it's crazy over there, you know, and And I, you know, I tried to keep Uncle Harry from be beating, you know, Aunt Samantha or whatever, and you were trying to play the peacemaker. Good. Keep it up. Keep it up. You know, if they don't know God, they're not going to get it much, but at least you might keep them from killing one another. And your example might lead them to Christ one day. What does it say? The peacemaker shall inherit the earth? Well, all right. So do not murder, or don't, don't let hatred get a foothold in, in your family life. Number five, honor thy mother and father. I'm just waiting for a big amen out there somewhere. <laughs> amen, okay. <clears throat> Didn't say you have to obey your mother and father. 
It says that in another place, but it's talking to children. Because, you know, there's a place where you leave your mother and father and cleave to your wife. And now you start in your own family. You don't necessarily have to obey your mother and father anymore. But you always are commanded to honor your mother and father. And you can do that. They could have been dead 20, 30 years ago. And you can still honor them. You can honor their memory. You don't drag out everything and, and like me and from the pulpit and tell all the bad stuff. You know, on your mom and dad... You honor them by saying good things. You say, well, my, you know, my parents don't deserve honor. You don't know the way they treated me. They raised me wrong. And you have all this bitterness and anger that we just talked about in your heart about your parents. Well, you know, Jesus didn't give us a loophole about that. He said, honor them anyway. You know, if nothing else, they brought you into this world. And as we grow older and wiser... We begin to have children of our own. I think most of us will settle down and begin to realize that they weren't as bad as we had made them out to be when we were teenagers. Back when we knew everything, when we were never wrong, you know. Most parents are doing the best that they can or did the best that they can with what they knew to do. And that's why we're here today, right? Some of you are probably saying, oh, you really hit me hard because I've been a bad parent and my kids don't talk to me and all this. Like I said, put it in the past. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, do your best from today forward. That's what we're trying to learn. Try to be better parents ourselves and we try to honor our parents. That you may live long on the earth. How many wants to live long? All right. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, number four. There's an idea. <laughs> Go to church on Sunday like you did. Do it regularly. Keep things holy at your house. You know, don't allow some of the ungodly things in our homes, the scary movies and the, the GD this and GD that and the, the spirits from alcohol and drugs and pornography and these things, they come along with little guests. You don't want that in your home. Keep your home pure. Keep your home holy. And one of the ways you do this is you go to church regularly. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You don't ask your 10-year-old, do you feel like going to church this morning? Who gave your 10-year-old the corner office in your house? <laughs> Who get, lets their 10-year-old call the shots? Do you get your rent money at the end of the month and lay it out on the table and say, son, do you want to spend this on hot fries or do you think we ought to pay the rent? You'll have a cabinet full of hot fries. You don't let them make the call. Why? Because they're not mature enough. You have to be the adult. Come on now. I think if you're letting your children decide whether you're going to church or not, it's because you're hoping they say no and you'll have an excuse not to go yourself. Man, that's a hard pastor up there. That guy, huh? <clears throat> I'm not coming back here. But what you place importance on, they'll pay, place importance on. You're training them. And what are we training them? I wrote this. If you only overrule church for other things, like sporting events or fishing trips or whatever, but never overrule other things for church, you're sending a strong message to your children. And the message is, or we can take or leave church. It's not that important. How does that jive with God being first in your family? 
That's for me and my house. We'll serve the Lord. But we may or not may not go to church, you know. I've got the sniffles. Well, guess what? This is a hospital, and I know a great physician. This is the place you need to come with sniffles. Now, I'm not saying you come in here with the flu or something and get everybody sick. Use common sense. But I mean, you know, somebody's got a little puffiness under their eye from allergy or something. I can't go to church today. What? Come on, be real now. I'm, I'm just, I feel a little down today, and I don't feel like going to church. Hello? Isn't that where we just, didn't we start there this morning? We looked out and we saw y'all all looking like this. We barely made it this morning, Pastor. So we begin to make an exchange, the joy of the Lord for our heaviness. What does it say to, to uh, exchange the, the, uh, the, the coat of... Uh, 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 oh, help me, Lord, Jesus. Exchange the, uh, the... Yeah, yeah. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's what we did this morning. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. So why would you not go to church if you're feeling down? That's all the more reason to go to church. There's really very limited excuses not to come to church. We are to be the church going as folks ever if we want family to be a priority in our life. Not only the, our personal family, because we want our children to see the example. Do, how, do you want your children to really grow up and think church is optional? And go through the things that you went through, or do you want them to have a better life? You want them to see how important church is to, the, to, to their lives. You want better for them, right? It's frustrating to me every time I preach on faithfulness. You know, the, the people that need to hear the message aren't here. I'm serious. I'll preach on faithfulness, and it'll be like the only faithful people in the church showed up that day, you know. And the ones that ain't here. Yeah. But they're not faithful to listen to the podcast either. <laughs> the leading cause of murder, adultery, and disrespecting our parents is self. It's putting yourself before others. Putting yourself before God. You come to church to drop off self. Let, to lay self at the altar, take up your cross and follow him, to be filled with the Lord Jesus Christ, to take up Christ. Jesus went to church regularly, didn't he? It says, as such as was his custom when he went into the synagogue. He always went to the synagogue. You know, he was Jewish at the time. If anybody could say, I don't need church, no, I'm good, it would have been Jesus but he went as an example for us. If Jesus went to church, how much more do we need to go to church? And Jesus gave us the church because the churches, he knew we would need it so desperately. He said, I will build my church. It's what he's doing here on the earth. It's his avenue for us to stay hooked up in one accord and be together on the same page. It's his avenue to pick you up when you're down to have a fellow brother or sister. He wants to use each one of us as hands and feet. He describes us as particular parts of the body, and when one of us is missing, we come to church looking like this, you know. 
and there's something missing when you're missing. We give and we take and we, we help one another and we all stay in the vine. So nobody falls away and withers and dies and thrown into the fire. I guess that made any sense. The Sabbath day also is a day to give us rest. Rest from our worries. Rest for our bodies. You know, rest is holy to God. God rested. Rest is necessary for our spiritual, mental, and our physical well-being. Is there somebody in your family, your personal family, that's carrying way too much of the load? Some of the mamas are saying, I ain't saying nothing. Doing all the dishes, doing all the clothes, doing all the cooking, doing all the running the children around, working six jobs. Somebody is, is, is doing too much in your, if somebody in your house is carrying too much of the load, that just tells me somebody in your house ain't carrying enough of the load. Shame. You got children? Put them to work. See, that's, the, that's a, a big problem in the families. We got a bunch of spoiled children that sit around on video games all day while mommy and daddy is mowing the yard, doing the dishes, cleaning the house, paying the bills, and working two jobs apiece. And then they're like, can you take me to the movies? I'm preaching real good now. You know what they need? Somebody said, beat them. No. <laughs> I didn't say that. I, I say they need chores and age-appropriate responsibilities because responsibility will foster a sense of belonging and ownership of the family. Do you want them to think family matters? Do you want them to grow up and go to college or whatever and go off and never care about the family again? No, you don't want that. But if you don't place an importance on the family and get them some buy-in into the family, they've got to have skin in the game. They need to know what, it's, what daddy goes through mowing the yard, and now daddy's 75 years old, and he's still out there with a push mower, and the son goes in there and plays his video games. If you don't want that to happen, you need to teach your children. Now, I know it's easier for you to do than to tell them knuckleheads 20 times not to run over this or that. Do, boy, do I have to tell you how to take out the garbage again? You know. You did what with it? <laughs> you know. They're playing you. They ain't that stupid. When I was little, I asked my mama. She asked me to make some uh, macaroni and cheese one time. I poured the whole box into a bowl of boiling water and stirred it up. Now, I'm talking about the cheese and all. Stirred it up like it was a stew. I knew what I was doing, but I didn't have to cook no more. Once Mama saw that. (laughs) I need a water break. Okay, so a quick recap, and we'll close. <clears throat> I mean it. We're, we're th- I'm through with this. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not uh, honor your mother and father. Do honor your mother and father. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Adultery is what in the heart? 
lust. It starts in the heart with lust. Murder is hatred in your heart. Honor your mother and father. If you don't, it's a rebellious spirit in your heart. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? If you don't, you're probably backslidden. You're not in the relationship with Jesus that you need to be in. So there I was in the 18-wheeler. There I was. It's hard to admit this, but this was before I was married. In a state of lust. In the 18-wheeler. I mean, they cut those lights way down low for a reason at the 18-wheeler. This is not who I dreamed I would be as a kid. I had hatred in my heart. I had hatred for life, pretty much. All the, all the, even then, at 25, I was just didn't understand why all this is like this. If this is all there is, if I try my best, and this is the best I can do down at the 18-wheeler, I was rebellious, didn't do the things I should have done, and hadn't been to church since I went to Catholic church when I was like 11 or 12. Certainly, if not completely lost, backslidden to the max. So I had lust, I had hate, I had rebellion, I had backslidden, and now I'm in a pickle holding on to this cue stick with this guy breathing on me. And this other guy about to punch me. I didn't know what to do. I just let reaction take over. As soon as that guy was uh, turned his head and started yelling at my buddies, I let go of the pool stick with this hand, made a fist, and said, and I socked that dude, knocked him straight to the floor. And then the other guy that was holding on to the pool stick, his brain was, you know, probably soaked in alcohol. It took him a few minutes to, what, what just happened? By the time he said that, I was all right. I was on him and knocking him all the way across the bar till I finally got knocked him down. He was like a big old lumberjack. By the time, it was like a tree falling. It took him 20 minutes to hit the ground. But then I done built myself up. I was so jacked up by that point, I looked back over, and the other guy was getting back up. So I run across 18-wheeler, stepped on the table, and come off with a flying, whatever you call it, and hit him again, and had him down on the ground. And he's yelling for mercy. And then I came to myself. I said, what am I doing? And so I got up and let him up. I'm like, this is getting worse. Well, they both get up, and, and they're trying to save face because the whole bar is messed up now, and everybody, of course, is, is yelling and hollering and gathering around. Well, these two guys start acting like the moon dogs or something. I don't know, WWE or Monday Night Wrestling, baby, and they rip off their shirts, you know. <laughs> and they're stomping around, and they're getting chairs and throwing them at me and stuff. And I'm just standing over there like this, dodging chairs and whatever. About this time, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I've had enough of this. You ever find yourself in a situation you wish you wouldn't have got in? And so I'm sitting there, and, but, I, but I know if I show a sign of weakness, then they'll attack. So I'm still standing there like, Y'all don't want no more of this, you know. <laughs> but, but they're trying to just save face, and so they're slowly backing out of the place. We're going to get you, Jack. You know, I ain't lying. They sound like the moon dogs, Jerry Lawler, Bill Dundee or somebody. They done took their shirts off, and, and they're, we're coming back. We're going to get you, you know. And so they finally leave, and I was like, whoo, I'm getting my guitar. I'm getting out of the 18-wheeler. And so I'm packing up my guitar. The owner, he wants to talk about it. He wants the band to sit down and discuss what just happened. And I try to calm down. And I sat down at the table, and uh, he's trying to say, well, we can't have this. And, and I thought to myself, I said, you know what? I'm through with this. I said, I'm not going to sit here and wait for them to come back with the gun. You know, I'm out of here. I'm sorry. 
I got my guitar and left. I went home. I felt bad for like three days. I don't like that fighting stuff. I don't like drama in my life. I realized that this was not where I wanted to be. But you know what the sad part about it is? You can realize that you're not where you want to be and stay there. Some of you are not where you want to be, but you're still staying there. You're not taking the steps to get out of it. It was probably another six or seven years before I finally gave my heart to Jesus and came out of the nightclubs and started playing on the altar of God. I, my daughter was two years old before I got saved. I was leading my family into this lifestyle. We started off bad. God turned it around. Are you tired of living over on Brooks Road? I mean, some of our lifestyles is like one melee to the next. Some of our lifestyles are so boring, they aren't even worth living. It's just mundane. Do you know that there is hope in this world? Do you know that there is purpose beyond your imagination? Do you know you were created for it? There is a destiny that if you knew what you could be and what your family could be, that it'd be, you'd be so excited you couldn't wait to get home today. You'd be slurping up that spaghetti like this to get back into your plan, to go do, do something with, with your life. God has a plan. His Ten Commandments, whether they're for the family or just for life in general, they're proven and true. Live by them. Embrace them. And they're all summed up in this, that the love command, the command to love one another. You know, beating on people, fighting, I don't mean to glorify any of that because it makes me sick now. I don't want to fight nobody no more. And I'm not sticking around to see if the moon dogs are coming back with their guns either. I don't want to be in that place, and I want to bring people out of those places. I want to see people have peace. I want to see that they live in a house that's secure, and, and there's love, and there's affection, and they don't have the parent, the, the spouses don't have to worry. Is their is their husband addicted to pornography, or is their husband's got his eyes on somebody else, and the man don't have to worry? Is his wife cheating on him, and discord and disharmony? Wondering if somebody's going to get hit in the back of the head with a pool stick. Life ain't supposed to be like that. And in God's way, it won't be like that. I'm not saying it's not a long journey out to come from where you are, that it didn't take me a while. And I'm not saying I've arrived, but I'm saying, thank goodness, I am not at the 18-wheeler anymore. And you don't have to be listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.